Good morning, church family. Please turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, beginning to read at verses 12 through to verses 24. But for the sake of our time this morning, we're going to begin to read at verses 17 through to verses 24, because that's where our focus is going to be this morning. Let's read together. The 72 returned with joy and saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to thread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the spirit, and he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then returning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and hear what you hear and did not hear it. Father, we thank you for those beautiful words as Jesus himself in joy lifted his head and heart to heaven and he said, Father, thank you for hiding these truths from those who are wise and understanding, but you reveal them to children for such is your gracious will. Oh, Father, once again, may you reveal those truths to us as we come under your word. We ask all this in your name. Amen. <clears throat> so this morning, we're picking up from where we left uh, last Sunday. And our subject has been the mission of Jesus we learned last Sunday that Jesus expects us as his disciples to be committed to the global mission of Jesus or of God. We are told that as Christians, we are to be global Christians with a global vision. And those words were from the famous John Stott. So we've seen in our passage last Sunday, Jesus spelling out that 
it is not yet a day for final judgment of the world, but instead it is time of a window of opportunity that is opened and offered to anyone who seeks to turn back to God and receive forgiveness. As we were looking in our passage, we saw Jesus summoning his disciples to a costly, costly devoted service with a priority of proclaiming his gospel. We saw him selecting and commissioning 72 disciples. And we noted that the number 72 is symbolic because it represents 72 nations of the world. In other words, as Jesus was sending these 72 disciples to a mission, he was sending them to a global mission with all the nations of the world in view. He told them that it's an urgent mission. Therefore, they must pray earnestly that the Lord will bring, will thrust and throw out laborers so that they carry this work out. And what was for me very fascinating and striking in our study last Sunday was the fact that Jesus is saying to his disciples, it's harvest time. The, the fields are ripe. They're ready for harvest. But what is needing, needed and is needed urgently are the workers. Jesus is continuing to call out workers and is calling you and I not only to be workers but to pray that the Lord will stir up people to get into his mission into the world. So it's an urgent mission. It's a global mission but it's an urgent mission. Thirdly, we notice that it is a dangerous mission. Because we saw Jesus saying to them, look, I'm sending you out as sheep among the wolves. Here is the good shepherd sending out his disciples like the sheep among the wolves. So there is danger in this ministry. But most of all, it is a focused mission. What we've learned in our study last week is that the currency that they carry with themselves on this global mission, as they go out to, to this global mission, it's the announcement of Jesus' kingship. And therefore, they offer peace with God and peace with God because the currency of their message or the content of their message is about a restoration of relationship with our creator. That's peace. And I hope you can say your relationship with your creator is restored. You are in peace with God, your creator. Today we're picking up at, at the return of these 72 disciples. They, they are on their way back from their mission. 
And as we do that, we pick up the mood in which these disciples come back with as they return from their mission, that it is the mood of joy, not just any joy, but an exceeding joy. It's an exceeding joyous mood that which these disciples are returning back with to their Lord. And so as we come to this passage, we're going to learn once again that Jesus is demanding you and I to go ahead and go on doing the mission he has called us to do here on earth. From this passage, Jesus wants to challenge you and I to remain committed to proclaim the gospel regardless of the world's hostility. And, and this should comfort us that Jesus is not hiding from us the truth that the world in which he's sending us to is hostile. And nevertheless, he is challenging us, he is demanding of us that we remain committed to this is the heart of Christian discipleship, that you and I are committed in taking out and in proclaiming the good news of Jesus in this world of darkness. And there can be no better time than now where there is so much of hopelessness in the world. And our message is fitting beautifully so in the mood in which the world finds itself today. So there are two takeaways that we're going to pick up on this morning. First one is the defeat of Satan there in verses 17. Let's read it again. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. That's the first one, the defeat of Satan. The second one is salvation is secured through the proclamation of Jesus. Verses 20. Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus is saying, yes, yes, there is something to rejoice about. The fact that the enemy has been defeated. But I want you to know that there is something even better for you to rejoice about. That is, your names have been written in the books of heaven. We're going to spend a lot of our time this morning on the first um, point in these two points. And we're going to be very brief on the second one and we'll summarize our message. So the passage before us this morning teaches us that Satan's defeat is announced through the proclamation of Jesus. Therefore, we are told to rejoice, we are told to be confident and engaged and engage in the work. I hope that's the message for you as well, that you are to rejoice. Not only rejoice, but you are to be confident 
and you are to engage in the work of the gospel. So as these 72 disciples return and unsurprisingly so, they are full of joy. They have been sent out to announce the kingship of Jesus and to offer the possibility of peace with God. The possibility because it's dependent on how people choose to respond. And therefore, if they choose not to respond, it means they will not have peace with God. But if they choose to respond positively to this message, we are told that they will have peace with God. So as a result of forgiveness of sin, this is the currency of their mission. They are to offer the forgiveness of sin and the possibility of peace with God. They declared that the demons were subject to them. That's amazing news. Now in verses 18, Jesus responds to the disciples. He responds to them with a prophetic vision. He says to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Surely this is not literal. This is a vision. This is something Jesus saw as he listens to them, giving them, giving him the report of what had happened on their mission. Somehow Jesus was taken to the end of time to see what will happen to the enemy. And that's amazing good news. And this is what happened to you, for you and I through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That on the cross, Jesus' power was broken and his grip over humanity was released. His power was broken and his grip was released. So, so the disciples, as they proclaim the gospel and as they return triumphantly, this triggers this picture in Jesus of Satan's ultimate defeat. That's his ultimate defeat. I saw Satan falling down from heaven like lightning. And this ultimate defeat of Satan took place through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Surely then, if you and I are Christ followers, it means we are recipients of what Christ has accomplished for us through his death and resurrection. Surely then, we too, like the disciples, are to rejoice. Not only joy, but exceedingly the kind of joy that shouts out so as the announcement of the kingship of Jesus is proclaimed, as the offer of the forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus is made, so Satan's power is being broken and his grip is being loosed. That's the news you and I are entrusted with. Let's take time and consider this because it's very it's very important. Let's consider the implications of it, the meaning of it in our everyday life. What does Jesus 
mean when we say Satan is being defeated, when we say his power has been, has been broken and, and his grip over humanity has been loose. What is, what's the implication of that in my everyday life? Well, scripture tells us that the power of Satan is deception and accusation. He is known in the Bible as the deceiver and the accuser. On the one hand, he blinds the eyes of the unbelievers. And here we're speaking the, the eyes of their hearts and soul. While he does that on the one hand, but on the other, he seduces the believers to think wrongly. He's a deceiver and he's an accuser. So he is a great accuser. He is the one who at the back of your mind, if you are a Christ follower, who accuses you. He is the one who wants to make you to walk around around feeling condemned. He wants you to walk around wondering if you belong or you, you've been rejected. But as the truth from God through Jesus is revealed, as you and I tend to God with a possibility of forgiveness, we are told that Satan's work of accusation and deception is being destroyed. This is good news. Guilt is taken away under the bright light of God's grace. That's, that's good news. His work as accuser and deceiver is destroyed, but, but guilt is also taken away as the bright light of God's grace shine upon you and I, we are free of guilt. Guilt for those who turn to Jesus, it evaporates. No wonder then the 72 returns rejoicing. No wonder the demons were subjected to them. No wonder Jesus sees the ultimate fall of Satan. And no wonder Jesus says in verses 19 that as they go out proclaiming the gospel, they need not to fear because nothing will happen to them. Of course, they are on the cutting edge of the battlefield. Surely fear comes when you find yourself in that space. They are the one who are proclaiming the kingship of Jesus. They are in face-to-face -face opposition with the forces of the enemy. Jesus is not naive to that. And as they, they, they are facing the enemy, they are offering good news. They are offering forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus. And they are declaring that Satan is defeated. Let's remember this, that grace always causes guilt to evaporate. In other words, as Satan stands before the Lord accusing you and I, as he tells the Lord about 
all my failures this week, all what Sia Nana has done this week, how I have failed to love the Lord my God with all my heart and mind. As he tells the Lord how I have failed this week to live the life of purity, love, joy, peace, and, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness. How I failed to live that kind of love, the life that is characterized with the fruit of the Spirit, as the enemy stands in front of my Lord, saying, look at him. Look at him, the one that you say you've called to serve you and be the one who shares your word and, and teaches your word. Look at how he fails to live the love, the life of purity. And often when these accusations are being leveled against me, I don't know about you, but I have no leg to stand. I can't defend myself because I know very well how I failed to live this life that is, 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 is required of me as a Christ follower. The good news, however, is that it is at that time when I don't have the leg to stand on that Jesus steps in and steps up for me and confront the enemy. And as he does this, as he steps up on my behalf, I see in his hand and in his feet, I see the scars. And I wonder what made these scars. And I realize that these are scars of sacrifice. And as I look on his side, I see that he's been pierced with something like a spear. What happened, Jesus? It was, I was pierced for your transgressions. And when I look in his head, I see marks. And I wonder what caused these marks. And I remembered again on the cross, they forced this crown with thorns. They forced it down on his head. And it left marks on him. So, as he stands there, he says, with all these marks and scars and these wounds, as he stands there, he says, yes, you're right. He is guilt. Siyanana is guilt of all these accusations that you are leveling against him. But I want you to know, Satan, that I, Jesus, lived a perfect life on his behalf. I carried all God's judgment for him on my shoulder when I died on in his place. What happened? Then the great accuser is rendered speechless and you and I are free of all those accusations. We are loosed from his grip and from his power. We are set free and all his power is stripped off. So on the cross, Jesus took away the power of Satan. Specifically, his lies against us. At the cross, the Colossians tell, or Paul in Colossians 2.15, he tells us that at the cross, God 
disarmed the ruler and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. So here is the question for you as a Christ follower. Do you feel guilt? You need not. Because Christ has died for you and he has paid the price. You are free from the grip of the enemy. Do you feel that you are rendered powerless because of your guilt? As some Christians do? Well, I want to ask you, I want to invite you to look at the cross. Lift up your head. Look at the cross. You need not to feel powerless because of the guilt. Jesus lived a perfect life on your behalf. Do you feel weighed down with the weight of oppression? Look at the, at the death and the resurrection of Jesus. For the truth has always triumphed over lies. Listen to the words of this hymn, how they articulate and summarize what Jesus has done for you and I on the cross. Jesus, the name to sinners dear, the name to sinners given, it scatters all their guilty fear. It brings them peace in heaven. Jesus, the prisoner's fatted breaks and, the bru and bruises enemies' head. Power into strengthless soul, he speaks, and life into the dead. The words of that hymn describes for you and I what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. Now let's conclude. As disciples return rejoicing to Jesus, Jesus tells them, yes, you have all the reasons to rejoice, but there is something even greater to rejoice about. And that is there in verses 20. And uh, let me read it briefly for you, what Jesus says to them as they rejoice. Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. There is something greater for you to rejoice about, that your names are written in heaven. So here is salvation is secured. Therefore, that's what you must rejoice for, that your salvation is secured and is secured against the forces of evil in the world. That's what you must rejoice for. May I commend to you these words, that you hold them to heart as you continue in the week to remember what Jesus has done for you. Amen.